Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So we've been, uh, we started uh, the summer series called Identity, Intimacy, and Destiny. So um, we're, we, now, we're now transitioning into the intimacy part, and today's message will be the first sermon on intimacy. Uh, it's basically entitled, uh, Trusting God's Love, the Doorway into Intimacy. So we've talked a lot about God's love, but if you don't get that, you're not going to be able to have intim- intimacy, and you will not experience the destiny that God has for you. I started last week with a question. Um, do you live from acceptance or for acceptance? And uh, I, I kind of gave you an assignment to read the prodigal son, the story, uh, and, and put yourself in, in the place of the prodigal and experience the father's love and try to think about the next morning after waking up after the party and how you might be feeling and some of the thoughts that might be running through your mind. And, and I would love, I wish we had time for people to come up and share the insight that God's given you about that. But this morning, I want to ask two questions, and uh, the first one may feel like a setup, and I, I just want you to know that I'm, it's not a trick question, but I just want you to think about it for a moment, and then I'm going to ask a second question, which is the basis for my, for my sermon. So here's the first question. Can you love someone that you do not trust? Now, don't be quick to to come to a conclusion about that. Just think about that for a moment. And when I say love, let me define the term. Because, you know, in our, in our culture, in our language, uh, we don't have, like the Greek language was the perfect language for the New Testament because it had so many uh, nuances. And, and the word love has at least four different uh, words for it. Uh, there's the, the, uh, uh, the love that a mother bear has for her cubs. There's, there's a love that a man has for a woman when he falls in love with her and she falls in love with him. There's a love that is just a brother friendship love. And then there's this, this really weird word in, in the New Testament that was only used a couple of times in Greek literature until Paul got a hold of it and, and, uh, and, and made it mean uh, it's, it's a God-given love. It's... it's, it's Here's my definition of, of this love, agape. It's 100% total commitment to the best good of the person being loved to the point of self-sacrifice. If you've been in premarital counseling with me, you've heard that definition. There's, let me just say it again. It's 100% total commitment to the, to the best good of the other person to the point of self-sacrifice. There's nothing in that for me, except hoping that that might be reciprocated, but even if it's not, it's still there. So can you love someone you can't trust or you don't trust? Well, my answer to that question is yes, you can. In fact, that's, that's the, really the, 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 the crowning understanding of, of agape, is loving the unlovable, the unworthy. And so I, I, I give you an example of this in my own life. When, when, I, when I first came to town, I was Clark County Jail Chaplain for a year, back in 1903 or whatever it was, 87 actually, 34 years ago. And uh, 
there were a couple of guys that ended up living with me. One, I, when, when I, so I said I was a jail chaplain. This guy was in jail. He got out the, about 10 days after I came there, and he moved in with a friend who was a horrible influence on this guy. And uh, we had lunch, and, and uh, he told me. I'd been kind of discipling him. I met him in jail, and he'd come to my Bible studies, and I was discipling him. And he told me about this, uh, this horrible living situation that he was in. And, and so I just invited him to stay with me. I had a spare room in, in my, the house I was renting, so he took one of the spare bed, bedrooms upstairs and... and you know, we started this friendship. We did a lot, I did a lot of ministry with him. I, some of my first attempts at deliverance ministry uh, started there uh, with him. And then, um, then a few weeks later, this young man came to, to church, and he was in about the same situation. He was uh, trying to break his alcohol addiction. He, he needed a place to live. Uh, he had just been kicked out. His dad had just kicked him out because he was an alcoholic, and He'd come home drunk and done something stupid. And so I took him in, too. I just, you know, I was just, hey, I was single, didn't have any kids, you know, a lot of time on my hands. And so i just take in these orphans. And, and, uh, and so uh, th- there came this day when, when uh, we, you know, I thought we were having a good time. We were doing a lot of ministry at night when I get home from work. And, uh, you know, we'd eat dinner together. And, and uh, I, we were brothers, band of brothers. You know, we're going to get through this stuff. And so um, uh, there was an evangelist that had come through town and, and spoken at the jail and it invited me to go with him to, <clears throat> up to uh, Lima for a conference that he was speaking at. And he just invited me to go with him. Well, there was no reason that I shouldn't do that. So <clears throat> I, uh, I decided to go. Uh, we were just going to you know, share a hotel room and, and I was going to be able to, to take in this conference. And so he picked me up about 5 o'clock in the evening on a Friday evening. Uh, and we took off, and we got about three blocks away, and I think I'd forgotten my wallet. I, that's just the way I live. I forget something. We always have to go back and get something. Uh, my cell phone, my wallet, my brain, whatever, but, you know, I'm, I'm always leaving something behind. And uh, so I got, we got about three blocks away, and I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I, gotta, I, I forgot my wallet or whatever it was, you know. So we, it was before the days of cell phones, believe it or not. So um, we turned around and went back, and... We, I didn't lock the door because they, they were there, and they were cooking supper when I left. And I walk in, and I go into the kitchen to get whatever it was. I think, it, I, I don't know. I just walked into the kitchen, and there they sat at the table with a bottle of Jack Daniels and glasses filled with whiskey. I mean, I hadn't been gone five minutes, and the party started already. And we've been dealing with, you know, addictions and casting out, you know, it's like, I just stopped. I was like, what are you doing? And they both looked at me like the cat that ate the canary, you know. And, and uh, I, just, I just threw up my hands and just I got whatever I needed. And I, just, I didn't even say anything else to them and just left. Within weeks, they were both gone. But I loved those knuckleheads. I did. I loved them. And, and I tried to help them. And I continue to try to help them through the years. And I don't know even where they are anymore. Uh, I think one of them's doing fairly well, but, but you know, you can love people that you don't trust. My second question is this, though. Can you have an intimate relationship? An intimate relationship with someone that you don't trust. Now, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy in marriage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an openness, a transparency, a sharing, 
a willingness to let someone into your life, to share life at the deepest levels, can you do that with someone you don't trust? Can you do that with someone that you're not absolutely certain has your back, has your best interest at heart? I don't think so. I couldn't. I know that with a group this size, there's someone here that has been hurt by someone that you opened your heart to, you opened your life to, you became, you thought you could trust, you became transparent, you just opened yourself to them, and they stepped on your heart. Maybe multiple times. Because you risked trusting them, and, and they just treated it like garbage. I know that some of you are, are feeling that right now because that's painful. That's one of the most painful things that can happen to a human being. So you can, you can love someone you don't trust, but you cannot have an ongoing intimate relationship with someone that you don't trust, especially if you're not sure that they love you. You realize that the God of the universe has created you for intimacy with him. Guys, think about it. How were, you, how was, how was, how were human beings created? And what was the order of creation? Because that tells a lot about your importance and how much God loves you. And by the way, when I say God loves you, I was listening to a sermon a while back by a guy named Malcolm Smith, an incredible teacher on grace and God's love. And he said, when I say the words God loves you, 50% of the people in this room are thinking that you're talking about their neighbor, not themselves. Because there's no way that God's going to love me. I'm just too bad. I'm just too wrong. I'm just too whatever. But think about, think about how God created human beings Everything, you know, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that. Everything God spoke, you know, it's called divine fiat. He spoke everything into existence. But when God always saves the best to last, I'm convinced that's why women were created after men. He always saves the best for last. Women, I just want to say, you know, right now I'm living with two of them. And you guys are... I'm not saying complicated. That's not the word I'm using. Don't hear that. But you're the most complex creature that God ever created. And that's a compliment to you. I am honoring you right now. You guys are complex. You use both sides of your brain. We only use one side. And half the time, we don't even use that. You guys are amazing. You use your emotions and your logic. You... You, you have the ability to, to nurture and to, you know, correct. You know, you, you guys have a gamut of emotions. We just, you know, men just have, like, in our toolbox of emotions, happy, angry. Those are the two. You guys have the spectrum. So let me just say that I, I, this is a total aside. I, I don't even know why I went there, but I just want to honor you this morning. You guys are amazing. God always saves the best to last. But... Let's back away from the, the micro to the macro and say, when God created human beings, he, for, he, he formed us with his hands. 
He bent down in the dirt and, 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 and took the elements that he had and formed us and shaped us. And then he did the most amazing thing. He didn't do this for any other creature. He breathed his spirit into our hearts, into our beings. And when I say heart, I'm talking about the essence of who we are. He breathed his spirit into us and gave us his life. Not just life. His life. His spirit. The word spirit and the word breath and the word wind, they're all the same. Pneuma. It means, it, it, it means life, spirit. Breath. All of that he breathed into Adam and Eve. Or at least Adam and then he created Eve out of Adam. But, but he, they, they contain the spirit of God, the life of God. That's the only way that they could love God back. That's the only way. The only way we can love God with agape love is because he puts that in us, in his spirit. He gives us the capacity to love him back. And of course, love, if it's real love, always contains a choice. And he gave Adam and Eve the awful choice of loving him or not, of obeying him or not. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. God created us for obedience, dependency, to, to, to be in a relationship with him where he's the lead and we follow. It's like a, it's like a dance. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to follow. God is the lead. Jesus is the, the groom. We're the bride. He leads. We follow. He, he speaks. We obey. But, but it's all about love. But if you don't believe God loves you, period, just like you are, you will never understand your identity, you will never have intimacy with him, and you will not fulfill your destiny. Because just like I said last week, if you, if you think that you live for acceptance, not from acceptance, then life will be very, very difficult for you. Diane talked about that in the video. You heard her say, I tried to be a good Christian, and I couldn't pull it off. I kept failing, and I was miserable until I learned that Jesus was my life, and I began to live with him, and I began to understand my union with him and the fact that he lives in me and wants to live his life through me. And guys, that's what this is all about. And if you don't believe that God loves you unconditionally, that somehow you have to perform and earn his love or, earn, or to keep his love by being a good boy and a good girl, then you're really missing the truth, and that will not set you free. If the truth sets you free, then lies will bind you. And Dennis pointed out uh, two weeks ago when he preached, I listened to his message, that the enemy has lied to us. And tried to tell us God is not good and he doesn't love us unconditionally. And that's a lie. And it binds us up and it, it makes us bound up in religious activities and, and trying to please God and trying to earn his favor and trying to keep his favor. And, and it's just, it's all a lie. God agapes you. 100% total commitment to your best good to the point of his self-sacrifice, and he proved that on the cross. God the Son came to reveal the heart of the Father, to reveal his love, and he wrapped himself in our sins 
and he became sin and was nailed to a tree and died in our place for our sins so that we could go free. I want to read this morning our, our text. It begins at the very end of Romans chapter 4 with the last verse, verse 25, and then it continues into to chapter 5. And I'm only going to read like uh, four verses here. But this is powerful stuff. Paul, in a nutshell, tells us what God has done for us in Christ to prove. He, he, th- this is the end of that definition of love. 100% total commitment to the best good of the person loved to the point of self-sacrifice. Here it is. Jesus, he, it, he it is there. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, the sinless perfect, eternal Son of God who lived in the presence of the Father, who, who was adored by the Father. When, when, before Jesus ever did a miracle, before he ever took one step of obedience following his baptism, and his entire ministry flowed out of the after baptism of Jesus, the voice came from heaven as Jesus came up out of the water. This is my Son, whom I love, and here's what it literally means, in whom my soul delights. We translate it with whom I'm well pleased. That's great. But, but this is the son with whom I am, or in whom my soul delights. That's, that's Jesus. That's the perfect son of God. And, and, and he obeys God perfectly his entire life he only does what the Father's doing. He only says what the Father's saying. He never disobeys. He never sins. And then right at the last minute, he trades places with us and, and becomes sin. He absorbs all of our sin and then takes it to the tree, to the cross. He, Adam and Eve took sin off the tree, put it inside of them. Jesus took that out of Adam's race into him and put it back on the tree. And by the way, in the law, it says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us. He, was, he absorbed our sin. He absorbed our guilt. He was cursed for us, and he died in our place as us. So here we go. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That word justification is a legal term. It doesn't just mean that we're forgiven. It means that in the, in the court of heaven... God declares us not guilty. It's not just that we're forgiven of our sins. We're declared in the court of heaven justified, not guilty. You and I have been justified by Jesus. Now now let's look at verse 1 of chapter uh, 5. Therefore, now I want you to notice the tense here. I'm talking about grammar now. Since we have been justified, past tense, through faith, what we do to, 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 to earn or deserve this, it, it, there's nothing we can do. We simply receive it by faith. We have peace with God through our good works and our obedience. Right? No, that's not what it says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. If you look this verse up tomorrow, it will say now. You stand now in God's grace. If you look it up next week, next month, next year, next decade, it's still going to say now. Because we stand, we now stand in God's grace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I've had a really difficult time in my life accepting this, accepting this grace, this truth that God loves me and accepts me based on everything that Christ has done, not on my performance. I've had a real difficult time embracing that and believing that. It's probably because of my upbringing. Uh, it's pro- probably because of some, some of the influence that my mom had and the church that she was involved in that was a lot about works and a lot about earning your keep and keeping what you earned and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and then, you know, the way that, that I was parented early, uh, I told you last time I spoke that my dad didn't come to Christ until I was in junior high school, and that changed everything. But I had a hard time pleasing my dad, and of course, we just transfer that right on to God. And so I, I really had a difficult time embracing, and, and I, I've had a difficult time embracing that. And, and, and so I, anytime I would hear a speaker like Malcolm Smith or Dennis Kozlov or someone that's very grace-oriented, I would always do, uh, they would be presenting the gospel, the good news of God's love and unconditional love and all that. And there was always for me, it seemed like a loophole, like a, a yes but, I call it. Yes, but what about in Hebrews 10 where it says that if we go on sinning, there's only the dread of judgment of an offended God? Yes, but what about the parables in Matthew 25 that if I'm not a good steward and I don't have enough oil in my lamp and if, I'm not, if I don't visit the sick and feed the, feed the hungry and clothe the naked enough that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a goat and I'm going to be cast out to gnash my teeth and all that. Yes, but I, I believe God loves me. I, I'm not sure he likes me. But I, 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 you know, he, I guess he loves me in some kind of generic love way because that's who God is, you know. But I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just not convinced that I'm okay. Like I'm not convinced right this minute that I'm okay. Maybe I'm under his, his frown. Maybe uh, <laughs> I thought of this word as I was preparing the sermon this morning. Uh, maybe I'm under God's stink eye. Let me... Uh, let me give you the definition of stink eye because I thought of it and I was like, is that really a word or a phrase? And I looked it up and, and listen to this. This is, this is Merriam-Webster. Definition of stink eye. A look expressing annoyance, resentment, or disapproval. I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever experienced that when I've before the Lord. You know, Dennis talked about the steel-faced God, the God who has no expression, no, there's no emotion, just staring. I mean, that's bad enough. But to be under God's stink eye, you know, I've spent half my life, you know, like feeling like I was under God's stink eye. 
Sorry if that's an offensive term, but, you know, that's what it, that's what it is. You know, annoying, disapproval, ugh, like kind of the frown, the coming to his presence and just with shame and, and uh, feeling very dirty and unacceptable and, and very, you know, Lord, I'm sorry, you know, I, uh, I come to pray, but, you know, I'd spend 20, 30 minutes just trying to suck up to God to, to get him to stop hating me for, you know, long enough that I could, I could actually pray. I, I, I hope that you don't experience that, but I've spent too much of my life under the frown of God, and it's not a good place to be, and it's not the gospel. You know, I take these, I take these uh, scriptures seriously, but here's what I've come to believe about these scriptures you know, God hates sin. He hates sin. And he's not okay with us sinning because he hates sin. Because sin is cancer. Sin is, is destructive. Sin is, it, 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 um, it draws us away from God. It, like the, the sheep that's pulled away from the shepherd, like this, the prodigal that goes into the, the distant country as far away from his father as possible. And you know, the story of the prodigal son is to show what happens when we do that. The sheep is on the precipice of falling into a ravine and dying and being eaten by wolves. It's not that God hates the sheep or the prodigal, but he hates the, the sin that, that moves us away from God. That's what he's upset about. You know, it, it's interesting, if you read Romans 8, and, and I, be, I believe it's verse 2, it says that God condemns sin in, in human flesh. He condemned sin and hung, hung it on the cross, but he didn't condemn sinners. In fact, l- let me just read from the Old Covenant uh, in, in Psalm 103. I, I just find this really interesting. I believe David was one of the few people in the Old Testament that actually had the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. In fact, if you read Psalm 51, he says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So apparently, he was, an, he was a new covenant person living under the old covenant. It's kind of cool. But this is what he says about God and about our sin. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse us. He will not harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us. He does not treat us. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our guilt. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The word fear there, by the way, isn't terror. It isn't dread. It's respect and, and regard for. Like, like I, I have a, a reverence for my dad. I don't fear him. He couldn't hurt me if he, if he had to. He's too frail. He's too old now. But I still revere my dad because he's my dad. If he says, go, go out and do so-and-so and get the paper or bring, take the trash, I'm, I'm going to get up and do it because I have reverence for my dad. I don't fear him, but I have reverence for him. This is what we're talking about. I wish they had translated that word reverence. It would, made, it would have made it a lot easier to talk about what I'm talking about right now. Because 
God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. And by his very nature, he loves you and me because that's who he is. He doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because who he is. And, and his love is always towards us. And he loves us so much that he's not willing to let us go off into sin. He'll come after us like the shepherd goes after the sheep or the, uh, you know, the, the, the father runs out to meet the prodigal. I mean, there, there is an element of repentance. I mean, if, if we decide to just live in sin, the, you can count on a couple of things. The Lord will allow us to reap some of what we sow. And he will discipline us, not because he hates us, not because he doesn't care, but because he is love and he loves us. 100% total commitment to your best good to the point of self-sacrifice. My kids and I have this running argument joke about how many times I spanked them growing up. I say about three times a piece, and they say about 300 times a piece. Now, the truth is probably somewhere in, in between, but it's probably more on my end, okay? I'm just saying. I hated to spank my children. I, I believe in corporal punishment. Please don't tell the authorities. They'll probably have me arrested. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on spankings, but, you know, I used to fly swatter, and uh, it was pretty effective. But I hated doing it. I absolutely hated doing it. You know that old saying that, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it does you, and then, you, you know, and kids say, yeah, right. Well, I mean, for me, it actually did. I mean, I hated spanking my kids, and I only did it when they needed it, and they would agree with that part. And I appreciated my mom and my dad, my mom like 400 times more than my dad, but I, you know, it seemed like I couldn't go through a week without getting spanked from my mom, but, but I appreciate the fact that they, they disciplined me because it was a sign of love. And in Hebrews 12, it says that if, you know, God disciplines us as sons because he loves us, because we're his children. And my mom made it really clear to me after some spanking that I only do this because I love you. I was like, man, it sure doesn't feel like it, but okay, you know. And she said, parents that don't love their children don't discipline them. I, I think that there's some truth in that. So, I just want to, I just want to emphasize this as I move towards my, clo- my closing uh, statement here. The Holy Spirit makes the love of God real. As, as, as the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Spirit, the, God has put His Spirit in us. You know, God loves us so much that He just doesn't want to be with us. He wants to be in us. And He's when we come to Him, when, we, when the prodigal comes home, when we come back to Him and say, God, I want you, He puts Himself inside of us. That's how close He wants to be to us. And then not only that, he just pours his love into our hearts. Again, the word heart there means who we are, our essence, our person. He pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And the word pours in there, it, is, it means to, to, to saturate, to flood, to drench. He doesn't just give us a little bit of love. He drenches us 
through his spirit, with his spirit, in his spirit, he pours his love into our hearts through the spirit that he's given us. It's a gift. It's the gift of life that he gave to Adam and Adam blew and lost it. And he gave it back in Christ. Christ said, when I, after I'm, I'm resurrected, I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you. He's been with you, now he'll be in you. That's the gift of God. And then when Jesus says that in John 14, he talks about sending his spirit to live within us as the comforter, as the teacher, as the one who would take everything that he had spoken to his disciples and make, it, make them remembered and make it real. Just a couple of verses later, he says, and then I and my Father will come and will make our home in you. The whole, we're Trinitarians, but we're, we, we believe in one God, three persons. Let's don't, let's don't make the mistake of, of believing in three different gods, okay? When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, so does the Son and so does the Father. We're one big happy family, really. And, and God loves you. He wants to be so near you that he, may, he puts himself inside of you and then pours his love, saturates you with his love. And he wants you to experience that love. And fear of God and fear of failure and fear of disappointment and fear of letting him down and fear of, fear of, fear of. Guys, when you sin, please just repent and, and, and stop and turn back to God. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Jesus has paid for all that. All that. But, but over and over again in the scriptures, you'll find it in, in the writings of John, the writings of James, the writing of Peter, the writing of Paul. Over and over again, he talks about the fact that God doesn't want us to live in sin. And he's very serious about that. But at the same time, he doesn't want us to live in constant fear. And it's somehow that he's going to reject us. He disciplines us, but he doesn't reject us. I have never rejected my, my kids because they did something wrong. And he won't reject us because we do something wrong. And he loves you. He loves you. And he wants you close. He wants you very, very close. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us. It's God with us. God our friend. God our lover. God giving himself to us as his as, as, as a gift. God's goal is just to pour his love into our hearts and for us to experience it. I want to close with a benediction from the book of, of uh, 2 Corinthians. It's the very last verse of 2 Corinthians. And, and I'll read this and I'll explain it and then we're going to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Now listen to this. This is how Paul ends the, the, his letter, second letter, to the knuckle-headed Corinthian church. These guys, this was the worst church he wrote to. Galatia was, you know, competed for second place. But, but the Corinthians were knuckleheads. And, God, and, and Paul addresses them as saints, holy ones, when he writes to them. He says... To the saints at Corinth, you bunch of knuckleheads, you babies, you're not, even, you're not even worthy to be called, you know, adult Christians. You're a bunch of babies, but you're still holy. You're holy ones. 
And they, were, they had so much sin going on and so many stupid things. They were getting drunk at communion and, you know, excusing all kinds of bad behavior and, and horrible sin. But he still calls them saints. And he ends his second letter to them in this way. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace, that's, that, that grace is what love is in the face of the offending and the undeserving. It's the prodigal son come home. That's grace. You saw that last week as we unpacked that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that he earned for us. The love of God, the love of God, the agape of God, the 100% total commitment to your best good to the point of his self-sacrifice. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That word has so much packed into it. It's God as our friend. It's God as our companion. It's God as our co-laborer. It's God as our, as, as our, uh, our best friend. The word fellowship there is used to talk about the relationship that the, the, the fishermen disciples had with each other as they worked together. It's, it's close, intimate, co-laboring in the kingdom together. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship that is as close and tight as it can be. May the grace of God, or the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, who is God's love poured into our hearts, be with you all. And when you go into your prayer closet, when you go into your devotional time, when you pursue, you know, when, when you go into God's presence, I just want you to see his smile of approval, his love for you, not the stink eye, but this gaze of a mother over her baby, over her infant, that looks at that child with this adoring love because that's how he looks at you. And I want to prove it by this last thing. I'm just going to read one more, one line of John chapter 17. This is in Jesus' prayer. This is, this is truly the Lord's prayer. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, as you and I are one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory, the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you, have sent, that, that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now that's the punchline, guys. God the Father loves you just like he loves his son Jesus. That is incredible. That is mind-blowing. That the eternal God who has loved his eternal son for all eternity loves you with the same love. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.